Welcome to the FPL USA Press Play Podcast. We are live recording following an action-packed Game Week 9, which saw some huge FPL scores thanks to some great home cooking and the dominant performance by those highly favored home teams. So we got all three hosts in their respective homes, but this is still going to be a action-packed, fun-filled episode because Brian is on wildcard and Black Wolf and I, Bucks, both have two free transfers. So let's get into the episode. How did you both fare in game week nine? It's time to make some moves, baby. Feels so good to be on wildcard. Just a week straight of tinkering with my FPL team and especially coming off of a powerful game week. This one was one of the main reasons why you love FPL. Goals, clean sheets, and everything else in between. It was really fun game week after a long international break. And sometimes those game weeks fall flat, to be honest. So I'm very happy that we all had some big points. And wow, some of the managers across the community crushed it like a grape. So well done to those managers. And taking a look at the totem pole this week. Wow. First time ever. It seems like I am on top of the three amigos here at the Press Play podcast. My team put in 94 points, and like I said, I've activated my wild card, so it feels good to be headed in the right direction. When you're 2.4 million, you'll take any green area you can get. I actually climbed 1.15 million spots. When you look at my squad quickly, Mbomo comes in with a big 14-pointer. That one was definitely huge because I was considering maybe shipping him out. I was talking to Dan a little bit. I'm like, do I just fucking cut ties with this guy and bring in Neto or something. So that would have been very painful if that happened. But he repaid the faith after a series of four blanks. And the rest of the squad did pretty well. I actually started LaSalle's at 3.9 million over cash. That got me four additional points this game week. And then Sun, Madison, Sala, Jules, and Holland, all with some big scores. So 94 points for me and now on wildcard. But let's kick it to you two. Who's next here in the totem pole? Oh, that would be me. Bucks on 92 points. Another green arrow coming out of wild card. That is three in a row, which feels great. And 92 points is a great score considering I got captaincy wrong. And candidly, I should confess to the listeners, I got this whole Noland, this smack talk I was saying, calling all these FPL managers who went without Erling Holland idiots. I got it wrong because when you look at some of these scores, the ones that are on triple digits did not have Holland. And the ones who had triple digits also swerved the Holland captaincy, which turned out to be a big trap because the other popular picks outscored him by a healthy margin. So good on those managers to play their own game and not listen to a big idiot like myself. But this big idiot is still top of a lot of mini leagues. So I'm feeling good about the 92 points. I am chugging and churning along, and I am hoping to continue the Green Arrows into game week 10. So feeling really good about 92 points. All right. All right, Bucks. Come on. You can gloat a little bit more. What is your current overall rank in the world right now? Ooh, it looks really, really nice. I am on 38,000 in the world, and I just saw that we surpassed 11.5 million managers So I am having a blinding start to the season. And yes, I've used two chips, but I think that my position and some of my patience has been paying off 
so far. And that's something we've talked about a lot, Brian, me and you. And that was one of my intents to be true to this season. And Black Wolf, I know you're holding me to it. I I say that I'm Bucks wild. And most of the time I am kind of out of the box and crazy. But I've been very patient and pragmatic with my FPL team so far. So I'm reaping the rewards of those decisions and some of my cool and collectedness in the transfer market. But let's see how long that continues. I might be looking at my first hit going into game week 10. And, oh, that feels so good once you get them in your system. I like to think that me joining this pod has been the voice of reason for you. But now I'd like you to go back to being Bucks Wild so I can catch up with you again, please. I'm not going to make it easy for you, Dan, let alone you, Brian. But yes, I'm going to be back to my wild ways in due course. Don't you guys worry. I mean, it helps to give the pod some legitimacy right here with your great overall rank. But Dan, you're still having a great start to the season as well. Tell the listeners how you fared in game week nine. Yeah, it's been one of those game weeks where I got 84 points, which usually I'd be ecstatic with. But considering seeing the high scores of everyone else, I can't help but feel slightly disappointed. I got a green arrow, but it was only like 10,000 places. It's effectively a gray arrow. Um, and I got hit with variants pretty negatively, I feel. I had people like Udogi, who got subbed at the 55 minutes. Oh, me ne- too. Me too. I uh, can't believe that. Brutal. Wow, Bucks is, Bucks is sitting over here with Poro. Just everything he touches turns to gold right now. It does. I was like, I'm finally going to catch up with Bucks with these Madison points. And then straight after, Udogi gets subbed off. And there's Bucks with his six Poro points. So I had people like Neto as well, for example, who... Came away with four points, but that could have easily been 12 if he'd finished a couple of those chances. Um, So yeah, I'm very happy with 84 points, but I could have done a lot better. Um, That's kind of the standard I've set for myself so far this season, but I'm still at 147k right now, which I have to be super happy with, with 11.5 million players. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're close to a fourth way through the season sitting at that OR. That's something I dream of right now. Yeah, exactly. Going forward, and I know we'll talk about this in a little while, but going forward, I'm a little nervous about the two, three game weeks ahead with my current team, but we'll get into that later. Yeah, and I feel like you're you're just you're so cautious. You you're it's hard to get you really excited. And we should just let's give oh, you I, some I get ex- I you're get excited. Having, you're having a great start to the season and bonus. I mean, Wolves look incredible, and you have a piece of them in your FPL team. In preseason, you were going on about, uh, I was bashing Wolves, and I still do to this day because I'm an asshole, but (laughs) you were saying how you thought you wouldn't have a Wolves player in your team all season. So this has to feel like absolute gravy, the fact that you're doing really well to start, plus your team that you support is doing really nicely, and it's all coming together for a nice handshake for an FPL kind of smashing start it's amazing yeah i mean when you put it like that i couldn't be happier really wolves have been doing so much better than i anticipated the past few game weeks they're doing kind of what i've been saying they're gonna do for the past three or four weeks they're actually putting in top quality performances they're playing really good football they're getting the points they're beating the teams around them which is the important thing and they're up now in like what is it 12th 13th place Scored the same amount of goals as Manchester United. They're above Brentford and scored more goals than them. So they're not as bad of a team as everyone's saying. And I'm going to repeat that until people admit it. (laughs) No promises that I'm going to admit that. But (laughs) let's keep it moving. The average in game week nine was a whopping 67 points. So all three of your handsome and brilliant hosts 
smash that by a comfortable margin. However, we need to give a proper spotlight to the manager of the game week in our podcast mini league. The press play pod premiership was topped by Da Scorpio on 115 points. He nearly doubled up the game week average. Jeez. And again, I am humbled by this Noland streak that I went on. And the Scorpio is one of the four managers out of the top five in the scoring in game week nine that went without Holland. All of those managers ended up with Salah captain and in the triple digit scores, only one manager managed triple digits with Holland in the side. So bravo to Scorpio. Only Saliba blanked in his starting 11. So he got it right with the Salah cap and Bomo, Watkins, low Trippier, Alvarez, Bowen, Solanke, Pope, and Saka. Shit, I need a glass of water after all those hauls. Incredible and way to be rewarded for a bold call for you, DeScorpio, and all the Nolan managers who went with that differential approach. So bravo to them. Yeah, we'd love to see the variance in the game. Captaincy is definitely up for grabs each week, and I think that's just great for the, the game and for us to analyze and try and predict different matchups within the FPL game. Right now, I think there's a core four players going forward who are all great captaincy shouts in Sala, Holland, Sun, and Saka. And a little tease to my wildcard team. I have all four of those guys in the side right now. So excited to chat about that later. And now let's kick it back to Dan to talk about the FPL USA Leagues update. FPL USA Leagues is sponsored by DraftTown, your ultimate assistant manager. DraftTown Premium subscriptions are going to be awarded to all of the league tier winners. But if you'd like to sign up to DraftTown this season, you can use our special link, which you can find on X in the profile page bio of at FPL USA Leagues. So at the end of game week nine, our leader in elite is the one and only Bucks, who has surpassed 600 points and is now on 607 points. Hot damn. Go on, give us a gloat. Go on. Yep. Do do your victory dance right now. <laughs> I am. I am. I'm getting my workout and my dance moves in. I, I wish it. this was a, a YouTube medium so people could see how bad of a dancer you are. You've definitely got those uh, dad moves for sure. I mean, he would okay. have to put his shirt back on and hide those nipples if he does that, though. Oh, baby. I'm definitely going to be embarrassing my daughters for years to come. <laughs> and our manager of the week in Elite is Sirtalp who got 120 points this week. He's one of the Narland managers. He went for a Salah captain for the second time in the past two game weeks for a total of 184 points in two game weeks. He's probably the number one elite analytical manager, at least I know of. So fair play to him for sticking with his analytics and getting such a high score. Booyah, sir, top way to get it. In FPL USA Gold, our leader is Theorist on 610 points, and he is also our manager of the week. He got 107 points, which is a very, very good score considering he does have Haaland, and he did captain Haaland. The reason he got such a high score is probably because he put in um, Louise, Douglas Louise, who got 15 points for him for Aston Villa. So, Bold call. Fair play to him. Yes. Wow, I mean, Theorist with the differential. I like it. His reasoning was good. He's a nailed player. He scores in the home games. He's on penalties. Why not? In FPL USA Silver, our leader is Shakur at FPL Masterpiece, another member of Analytics FC. So it just goes to show that 
the analytics managers are doing really well right now. He's on 592. And our manager of the week, I know he's going to be listening to this pod. It's Jeremy at FPR Barrister on 108 points. And then finally, in bronze, our leader is Keith Lawrence still. He's on 651 points. And he has a live ranking of 681 in the world. He's flying. So fair play. Sheesh. And our manager of the week is Peter Scullion at PSO Scalane on 115 points. He did use his bench boost, but we'll give him manager of the week anyway. So that's a... Well done to all those managers. Huge yep. scores across the FPL USA leagues. And it's become wildly competitive. I know I used a chip to kind of juice my ranking in the start, but I am feeling the footsteps. And they are definitely nipping at my heels in the elite managers. It's gotten wildly competitive. And down the board, we're seeing huge scores and a lot of great managers trying to rise to the top. So well done, Dan, on organizing this. And good luck to all managers as part of the FPL USA crew. Yeah, and just to add, we are not closing entries until game week 19. So send me a DM on X if you'd still like to be added. All right. That covers the game week nine scores update. We're going to take a quick break and discuss the matches that brought the points in game week nine. We'll be right back. And we're back. Let's rewind to cover the players who got points and the teams that did the business in game week nine. And again, we're going to be mostly touching on the home teams because they were rip roaring in this game week, dominant performances from the home side, starting with the Merseyside Derby, Liverpool two, Everton, womp, womp, zero. Yeah, in this one, we see a double yellow card lead to a red in the 37th minute, and then Liverpool ratchet it up and get in the goals. So I'll be honest, I think Salah captainers were definitely fortunate in this one. They weren't really... Delivering the goods in the final third in the beginning of the match. But to get Salah into your side, he looks essential for this run coming up. And I, I'm not afraid to use that word because Mo is taking his penalties with confidence and he counters on the open play goal in the 90th, fourth minute or whatever it was. Massive score, 16 points. And he continues to eat up these bonus points, which is really a new facet of his FPL game and is going to continue to reap rewards for his owners. So the only other touching point in this match, I thought Kanate could have got his second yellow card in the second half, and then it could have been 10 on 10, and maybe Mo doesn't get that follow-up goal. So uh, what did you see in this one? I know all three of us are on Salah at the moment. Yeah, I think in our pod with Alex last week, we all said it's probably going to be kind of a cagey match. At least I know three of us did. And we still think Salah could probably come away with a couple of goals, but he's probably not the best captaincy option this week. I think we got it. We got it wrong. However, it was swayed by that that red card in the 37th minute for sure. Because I agree, he wasn't looking essential that first 37 minutes. They were really shutting him out for a lot of that that time. But he's there, isn't he? He, he? They get penalties often, Liverpool. He takes them. He scores them. He's involved in most goals they score, and they're one of the elite attacking teams. So I would agree he's close to essential in the coming game weeks coming up. 
Um, and yeah, Kanate, I agree. He should have got sent off. That probably would have changed the game a lot. And let's shout out their fixture swing coming up. I mean, they have some great attacking fixtures in a row right here. NFO in game week 10 at home, away to Luton. Those are both captaincy shout games. And then home versus Brentford before they play City away. So the next three are going to be a great opportunity to possibly captain Mo Salah again. So if you don't have him, man, I, I think now is the time to figure out a way to bring him into your FPL side, right? Absolutely. And to double down on what Dan said, Ashley Young saw a deserved second yellow card and dismissal for a red card. Kanate definitely should have had the same treatment. But I thought what was notable, Mikalenko looked fantastic. And then when Everton went down to 10 men, they definitely got a little desperate. And you could see the cracks. And Mo Salah is the best in the world at exploiting those cracks. He is so clinical. And yeah, you give him an inch, he's going to score a beauty of a goal. And we saw that on that second one for his brace. He's he's one of the best in the world at that kind of transition straight into the back of the net kind of finish. Unbelievable performance from him. And yeah, I called that he was going to have a double return. He did it, but I did not get the captaincy right. I, I should have backed that call with the armband. And the early kickoff kind of scared many managers away. I think if we were being honest... If Sal was in the 10 o'clock window here in on the East Coast or at the 7 o'clock window by you guys, I think a lot of us would have had a more difficult 50-50 decision on our hands. Right, Brian? I mean, this is always a cagey match. Uh, I thought there would be a lot of one-way traffic, and Everton did hold up pretty well to start the match. And I think one interesting thing to call out is that we're seeing Darwin be less selfish than he has in the past. He's starting to lay the ball off more when they have these great counterattack opportunities. Previously, he might have fluffed it or gone for goal himself, but we're seeing him now make some decisive passes that only boost Mo from an FPL perspective because those big chances that he was previously getting, he wasn't converting, and now he's going to pass to a better finisher in Mo Salah. So we love that from an FPL perspective. Amen to that. One last thing about Mo Salah. He only has blanked in one match, and that was the game against Tottenham where he really should have had an assist. So I think he's been essential for some time, but it's high time that you do whatever is possible to get him into your team. If you need to wildcard, Mo Salah should be probably the first name on your wildcard draft. And if you need to even take a minus eight, I think we're at the point in the season where you're just missing too many points. And let alone, he's probably the best captain option, as Brian, you laid out very nicely, this coming game week as well as next game week. So you just need to get those points in your team and waiting for the kind of ideal moment, waiting for the move to materialize, you're you're just being left in the dust. So that's my take. And the man has 11 returns so far this season. So definitely proving his price to be good value. Elsewhere, let's transition from the attack to the defense as Liverpool keep a clean sheet in this one, and Simikas gets a six-pointer, 4.4, 4.5 million now. I believe he's going to be in place for Robbo for many game weeks to come. He seems like great value. Elsewhere, Trent's very quiet in this one. Uh, I think he created zero chances. So surprising to see that against a team that had 10 men. So Simikas is definitely great value, especially if you're looking for a cheap defender to come into your side. Whereas Trent, I think he was going to have a few big game weeks, but at 7.9 million, 
it's just not worth the the price because there's so many other players you need to fit in your side. Do you agree with that, Dan? I do. I completely agree with that. The, the only thing that worried me a little bit about Simikaz is he got subbed off on the 62-minute mark. I think that's probably because they were comfortably in the lead. He was probably lacking some match fitness, maybe. So he wanted to take him off, knowing that he's going to need him going forward. But it's just something to keep your eye on, that they can play and they can win games without Simakas in that left wing-back spot. However, at his price point, if you're on a wild card, he's kind of a no-brainer for me. Agreed, but he also narrowly missed a yellow card. He definitely could have had at least one cardable challenge in this match. So you're going to be living on a razor's edge with Simikas, but... By the time game week 10 rolls around, I fully expect he's going to be 4.6 million. So the time to get him in is ASAP if you're on wildcard. You just got to have him in your team to farm that price increase. Sorry. I think you just need to make sure that you have a good fourth defender if you do have Simakas on a wildcard. Because you don't want him to be your third best defender, knowing that he's probably going to get rotated every now and again. He's probably going to come off early every now and again. Just make sure you have a good fourth defender, I feel. All right, let's... Move it to the next game and let Dan gloat a little bit about his in-form Wolves team. They win 2-1 to one and basically put up four times the XG of Bournemouth away. So let's give him, uh, what do we think, 60 seconds or less? Can we talk about Wolves? Cook, Dan, cook. Yeah, because I see on the little rundown we have here that we have quick recap in big, bold letters because I know I can talk <laughs> about Wolves for like 10 minutes. I will say the main takeaway from this game is how terrible Bournemouth defense is and how they really are a team we need to attack going forward. If Wolves can put up an XG of 2.35 against them, I know they had 10 men for a lot of that game, but Wolves dominated them in attack. The likes of, I don't know, Man City, Liverpool against them, they're going to destroy them. So they're a team you really have to target for captaincy, I feel. I know we were already probably thinking that anyway, but this game just really proved that. On top of that, Pedro Neto and Huang, again, proving that they're decent um, budget enablers if you're looking for that sub 5.8 million pound mark. Um, they're going to consistently get you points, probably not huge hauls, although Neto was very close. But they're going to deliver you points every now and again because the two of them are involved in pretty much every single goal will score, and they will score goals. So that's my takeaway. I kept it to 60 seconds. There you go, guys. The timer was about to go off, so I'm glad that we ended that segment there. And now let's discuss Man City winning 2-1 to one versus Brighton. This one was a relatively close match, considering that we thought that Man City could maybe hang four in this one. And I still am fine with the captaincy of Holland in this one. But you can definitely see there are some ways that Man City could improve. Getting Stones and Rodri back are definitely helpful, but the attack isn't really flowing as well as we'd like it to. Yeah, I said this on the pod last week. They are really, really missing Kevin De Bruyne and Gundogan. Once again, they've got an XG of less than one, which is just not normal for Man City. Um, Haaland is not getting the same level of chances as he was before. And those players are not walking through that door anytime soon. Obviously, Gundo is away at Barca, but KDB nowhere near to returning either. So it just uh, gives opportunity to managers to go rogue and go with a different captaincy shouts. And, you know, it, it's dicey to go Nolan, but those managers are having a, a decent time right now, especially if you started in game week eight without him. 
And the same goes for Alvarez. We're seeing that he's a great asset. He's an almost nailed player in the top attacking team, or at least one of the top attacking teams. He's getting the goals. However, we are seeing he's overperforming a little bit. So I do think it's valid to not have him in your squad, especially yeah, with people like Ollie Watkins around. You look at Jules in this one, like he kind of fluffed that chance and it goes into the yeah. back of the net. And so managers have to feel pretty... Uh, Pretty cheeky with those points in this game week. Yeah, but Alvarez is admittedly covering Holland better than the other Liverpool attackers are covering Salah or the Newcastle defenders are covering Trippier. So that just puts a very interesting wrinkle into the mix for managers going into wildcard 10 like you, Brian. So it's definitely something to note the price difference between Alvarez and Holland I think is a full 7 million so it's not too shabby and you could you can fit a lot of other great players into your team if you go the Nolan route but even on his bad days I mean Holland still gets a goal and two bonus points for eight points and Alvarez you know he didn't light the world on fire but he gets a goal and three bonus for nine points so the city attackers are still performing it's just the financial outlay to get a guy like Holland in He's not smashing it like Salah is, at least at this moment in time. And like a lot of managers have put out there, the city fixtures are choppy right now. I mean, I, I still think they're pretty good, but they're they're not as good as they would have looked maybe four or five game weeks ago. Next five game weeks for Manchester City include away at Manchester United, then Bournemouth at home. That's a great captaincy option, potentially. Uh, it's going to be interesting because Salah plays Luton away that game week, and then they face Chelsea, who look pretty defensively stout, and then Liverpool at home and Tottenham at home. So there's some big matches coming up for this side. Uh, Pep's going to have to have his team really geared up for this sequence of five games. Yeah, three quick less good happenings to come out of the Man City-Brighton match. Brighton lose Welbeck pretty early in the first half, and then Solly March goes down with a really bad looking lower leg injury and has to be stretchered off. RDZ said he's expecting to go without Solly for a long while. So that is really ominous. And considering Brighton also have Purvis and Lamptey out, they're a little depleted by injuries. And so we're going to see even more rotation than planned in their upcoming European competition. Yeah, to be honest, this is really putting me off of Brighton as a whole. Uh, this is a fixture run that I thought I might really tap into for Brighton, maybe Purvis and Matoma double up. And now I think I might be swerving them completely with their European action. And they've been losing in Europe. So they actually need to play their best 11, uh, I believe, in the next game this week. So something to keep an eye on. And these injuries are, are they're really hurting the squad. I mean, the defensively, they just don't have enough depth to play this many matches, it seems. I completely agree with you. I've been planning my transfers going forward for quite a few game weeks and in none of my plans do I have a single Brighton player they're just not worth it right now for me I think potentially wow. Matoma perhaps but who would you put in other than Matoma especially when you've got you've got all of these top performing midfielders on better teams right now with better fixtures and I don't know they're not they're not exciting me like they were last season yeah, the rotation is killer from an FPL perspective. Going to Man City, some issues there. Akanji gets a late second yellow card, so he'll be suspended for one match. Not great that that matches the Manchester Derby, but 
What can he do? And lastly, Ortega comes in. I thought he was spectacular in relief of Ederson. City are great, but they're they are conceding the odd goal, and Ederson's often at fault for that. I just thought that Ortega was an excellent shot stopper in this one, and he did everything to keep City in the driver's seat getting the three points because Brighton definitely had one or two great chances to level the scoring, let alone maybe even pip the win uh, if the game goes a little bit different. Let's keep it going. Next, let's talk about Newcastle continuing their hot form. They are just cruising right now in terms of their goal output. They win 4-0 at home versus Crystal Palace. And Jacob Kai Murphy, mega monster hall, 17-pointer out of nowhere. I don't think he's in any squads, maybe a a rare bench boost, but uh, crazy to see him put up these types of numbers. And especially owners of trips have to pat him on the back multiple times because he gets his assist, which again, two weeks in a row, I don't have trips. He's been crushing me. And I think very fortunate to get assists in the last two games from the wonder goal from Almiron and then also being involved in this, uh, Kind of crazy shot by Murphy. So he ends up, though, on 10 points once again, gets an early sub around the 70th minute. So, I mean, his streak of matches and points has has been insane. I, I can't believe that I've I've missed him in this window. And now I think it might be too late for me. Yeah, and Dan, you called out Gordon, maybe regretting moving off him to bring in Neto. You got the points last week. I get the Gordon points this week. I was really happy to see him score a goal. And he was so close to a brace. Oh, my God. I was clutching my pearls when that ball skied over the bar. Because uh, if he got 14 points, I would be insufferable on this podcast. Just mark <laughs> mark that as fact. Yeah, I think I got lucky to get away with him only having eight points this week. I calculated the points I would have got if I kept Gordon in. And I'm level right now. So as of now, it was an okay decision. Going forward, I'm a little bit more worried about it. Especially because they play each other next week. And I'm probably starting Neto. So we'll see what happens. Ooh, against, against your trippier. I, I don't love that for you. I don't love it, but I've got no other choice. I don't have a wild card. Fair, fair. Cal Wilson, he starts, he gets a goal. That's kind of the recipe for success if you are a Cal Wilson FPL owner. When he plays, he's elite. But it's his fitness and the Isak threat of starting through the middle, which has a lot of managers put off. And Isak has gotten a number of hauls this season, too. Yeah, I just want to call out the form again that Newcastle attack is in. They are leading the entire Premier League with 24 goals through nine matches. And when you compare somebody like Gordon to other budget enablers, maybe Neto, Palmer from Chelsea. I mean, Wolves are on 11 total goals. Chelsea are on 13. I mean, Newcastle is nearly doubling them up. So Gordon seems to be very good value, especially with no competition for his slot on the left wing. So I think he's a very solid pick moving forward, especially for potential wild carders. Yeah, and we should just touch on Palace because they are without Olise, they're without Eze. And on the advanced stats, they did put up over one XG in this match. But if you just watch the game, they really were nowhere close to scoring a goal. Uh, I thought Mitchell, who's one of their wingbacks, had the best chance for Palace. That's never a good sign if you're going to really be punishing the back of the net. And so I just think Palace have emerged as another team similar to the newly promoted teams that are 
in and around relegation that could be targeted right now because they are so devoid of any quality attackers. So I really liked the Trippier start. I thought he was an outside captaincy option and that wasn't too far off. I, I half agree with what you're saying. I think away from home, they're Same. definitely a team to target. At home, they're a different gravy. They're actually much better at home. Their defense's stats are very good. Um, so I wouldn't target them as captaincy for their home games, personally. No, no, we're on the same page. Defensively, they're still a very strong team, and they are overperforming what the expectation and the perception is of that club, specifically on defense. I think Johnstone has been a revelation for Palace. However, if you have a player like Trippier, if we have a player maybe like Ben White in the coming game weeks that is going to go up against Palace, I don't hate a defensive captaincy option because I think those are almost free <laughs> points. I mean, okay, Pedro all right, Poro, all right, all right. Let's let's not let's not call out let's not call out Ben Poro. White as a captaincy option. You know, he's he's not that kind of player. But uh, no, I mean, I think if I, you I think... get a clean sheet and assist right there. Uh, the clean sheet is is like you yeah, could fall that's... into that. I mean, I think a lot of teams could clean this Palace team with their lack of attackers. So if you can get an attacking return over that, you're looking at a 20 plus point captaincy. Uh, that's really the name of the game. That's what you're targeting as captains. Defensively, because of their lack of attackers, they are going to be a pretty you know, stout team overall. And when we look at the fixture ticker from fantasy football scout over the next five games, they're actually top. They're going to play Tottenham at home, Burnley away, Everton at home, Luton away, and then West Ham. So very good fixtures. So I think Gahey is somebody who stands out. Anderson's a little expensive now at 4.9 million, but Gahey at 4.5 is somebody you could potentially consider. It's not going to be a fun way to watch your, your team uh, play on a weekly basis with uh, uh, kind of limited upside from an attacking perspective, but I think they're still going to keep a few cleans and Johnson has been pretty good in goal. And the Crystal Palace defense, they actually rotate really well with Chelsea. So if you have someone like Palmer, you can rotate him very well with Goyhe. I saw that the other day. So I don't mind going with Crystal Palace defenders on a wildcard. Next up, let's discuss the 2-2 draw between Chelsea and Arsenal. This was a bit of an odd match, but Chelsea found themselves up 2-0 and unfortunately squander it because Bob the Monster Sanchez sucks. We need a new keeper in the January window. This guy is muff cabbage. He's trash. What do you think oh, about that, that Bucks? I, I don't like that take, but <laughs> this game, this game, I can't say you were way off it because he just killed the moment. I think Chelsea were cruising 2-0 up. They were so, so frustrating and just to like gift the ball right to Declan Rice when you're miles out of the net. I mean, professional footballers don't miss from even 30 yards out when there's no keeper and no defender in the path of the goal. So that was just such a dumb, terrible giveaway. And yeah, that gives Arsenal belief and that gives them an opening to get back in the game and steal a point. And that's what they did. Saka with a moment of brilliance. I really think Chelsea defense had him so well contained outside of that inch perfect pass that he gave to Trossard for the equalizer. And then honestly, then you're really scared because there was still 10 minutes left after that. And all the momentum was with the gunners and they honestly had the better chances to win the game once they tied it up. So I think Chelsea, this was a confidence building for 75 minutes. 
I mean, they really, I thought they were dominant. They were such a better team. And for them to be there with such a young team, missing so many key pieces like Reese James is out and Kunku wasn't fit. Jackson wasn't fit to start. And yet they were still really dominant on this day against their London rivals. It gives you a lot of belief for the project long-term, but yeah, they, Poch has to figure it out to win games like this. I mean, let's just say Jose Mourinho wouldn't have been getting only one point in this match. He would have gotten all three points easy peasy. And that's the standard at Chelsea. You need to be going for trophies and killing matches like this with the three points in your locker. So that sucked. I'm still stuck on Brian calling Sanchez a a muff cabbage. That's a new (laughs) insult for me. (laughs) That is amazing. Um, I yeah, don't don't <laughs> don't say that one around uh, the kids. Uh, let's uh, make sure this is NSFW. Um, so I've lost my whole entire train of thought here. But basically, I agree. I think Chelsea they really threw that game away. Um, Pochettino, I didn't agree with his substitutions in that game either. I think once they Arsenal got that goal back, Chelsea had no real opportunity to get another goal because they'd already took off all their best attackers. So yeah, I I agree that they really mess this game up and they need to do better tactically going forward. It just sucks when you have such a major karma swing for that Mudrich goal against Arsenal, the team that wanted him, that we stole him from, that then is saying how much of a bust he is, how they really tricked us into overpaying. He gets, he scuffs across that ends up in the back of the net. And that was like the soccer gods had their thumb on the scale. <laughs> and then to go and not win that game at the bridge, just Oh, it's such a nut punch. And it's just kind of how Chelsea's last season and a half have been, you know, two steps forward, two steps back, three steps forward, three and a half steps back. It's just been one of those times at the club. I don't know if I agree with your math on those steps. I think uh, they're very far away from trophies, but regardless, a great game to get a one point out of. Um, Let's just call out a few other highlights of this one. Cole Palmer. Firmly on penalties, he nails this one as well. So he's 4.9 million. He is definitely somebody you could bring into your side if you need to free up funds. Uh, Their run is really poor, though, coming up here. So I think you're definitely relying on Chelsea to somehow get it together in tough fixtures. And it's a little bit of a a mixed bag, I would say. I mean, looking at their fixtures, uh, they're actually bottom of the ticker for the next five game weeks they're playing Brentford at home then they play Tottenham away City at home Newcastle away and Brighton at home so it's definitely going to be a rough go for the Blues coming up here and just again Bucks and I called out before they needed to get a lot more points out of their first seven or eight matches and they did not take care of business there Um, one other thing I just want to talk about quickly is the defense for Arsenal a lot of managers are considering Gabriel Zinchenko maybe Ryan Goal I thought they looked fine in this one. I mean, I, pretty unlucky goals to give up, to be honest. Um, but with their run coming up, I still think a defender from Arsenal is just the easy way into their side. And they're going to play a couple of the promoted teams. So what do you guys think on the defense for Arsenal? I think if you're on a wild card, or even if you're not on a wild card, an Arsenal defender makes perfect sense in the weeks coming ahead, especially because they have Sheffield United at home. And then Newcastle in a way where you could probably bench them. And then Burnley at home. They're two almost guaranteed clean sheets. I mean, famous last words, but I think they've got clean sheets there. So yeah, if, if you're on a wildcard, their price point, their quality of their defense, it's a no-brainer. 
I rate it, but I would not be rushing for a defensive double up on Arsenal right now. They just aren't proving that they are as nailed for clean sheets as maybe the fixture ticker would have you believe. All right, let's go to the next match. Chef U, they actually scored a fucking goal. They get one Manchester United. They actually got a fucking win. Manchester United get two. So Mick Sauce, he shoots to stay hot. The guy has three goals since Sir Alex Ferguson lost his lovely wife. Guy is a monster for Scots everywhere. Yeah, we also see a assist for Bruno. He gets in the bonus. I think he had seven points in this one. They're not very popular right now in FPL, so I think we can probably skip the lot. Um, yeah, their defense really not doing very well. Dallo does score a great goal to get them the three points. Otherwise, ETH would be under even more fire. So definitely ones to watch. They're going to have some better fixtures in a couple of game weeks from now where they play Fulham, Luton, and Everton. But I just can't trust any of their assets right now. And they their goals are so unpredictable, and that's not what you want for FPL. Yeah, and they're not even clean sheeting Chef U. That's like really scary days at Old Trafford. Next, Villa 4, West Ham 1. We were right on the goal fest, but it wasn't as evenly spread as we had predicted on last week's pod with Alex. Talk us through what happened here, Wolf. Well, this game ruined my weekend, to be honest. <laughs> I don't have Watkins, <laughs> and I don't have Bowen, and they both get goals. Um, I think Aston Villa's attack, they are so good, and their fixtures coming up are amazing. I feel like not having Watkins is my biggest fear right now. Every time he plays, he just terrifies me. He's involved in everything. As Agreed. we said with Alex last week, he's their talisman. He's their focal point. He's just always there. And he's getting all of these assists as well, not just goals. So I think he's my number one target, even more so than Arsenal, in my personal opinion. I can't fault you for that, Black Wolf, because hearing the post-game press conferences and just recent quotes from Watkins as well. He really wants to be in the three Lions side for the upcoming Euros, and he wants to score 20 goals this season. He's in the prime of his career, and under Unai Emery seems to be a player who is building confidence, and you know he's he's been a, a little bit selfish instead of laying a few balls off for somebody like Diaby, but he's the clear second-best striker right now for the next three to four game weeks. What do you think, Bucks? I agree with that take. And uh, I mean, he gets one goal and one assist and two bonus points. So he gets another double digit return for FPL managers with 11 points. And I think the big takeaway here is something you mentioned about building confidence for Ollie Watkins. But I think it's true about the entire Aston Villa side. Since Unai Emery came in, they are a fully transformed team. They are legitimate top four contenders this season. And with their home form, they have the tools to get there because they've won 11 straight matches at home. And specifically, they're a buzzsaw from attack when it comes from home. They're not just scoring one or two goals. They're scoring four, five. They scored six goals earlier this season at home against Brighton. So they're just hauling on and hossing on all cylinders right now. So Douglas Weese gets a brace. Watkins has gotten multi-goal returns. And Matty Cash has also gotten multi-goal returns. So they are getting contributions across the pitch and it's very impressive what they're doing right now it was um, Musa Diaby that bothered me in this game to come away with two points when they were so attacking he's a bit of a worry in my team and I I know others have him too 
for that 6.6 .6 million price that he's at, or 6.7. I worry that Leon Bailey came on and got a great goal, so he's also a competition now for Musa Diaby. But can you really take him out for Luton at home? I don't, I don't think so. So he's going to stay in my team, but he is a worry. You got to stick for Luton at home and then decide after that. The fixtures are too good right now. Um, but yeah, definitely a player who is clearly talented and we like that he's kind of playing that second striker role. But I think uh, Bucks has discussed this before. He's helping create the space to set up Watkins. And that is not great for FPL, great for IRL football. But right now, uh, he's not really in my thoughts at all on wildcard moving forward. And somebody that, yeah, managers are going to have some decisions to make over the next couple of game weeks. And then just another thing about this game is Bowen. So Bowen got the goal. I think he was quite lucky with that huge deflection. But he's always there. And Antonio was terrible. That was an absolutely awful performance from Antonio. And if he stays in that team... I'll be shocked. I really think it's about time now that he plays Kudus on that side and puts Bowen in the middle, which is going to be great for Bowen if he does do that. So I'm firmly targeting both Bowen and Watkins probably as my priorities coming up. Love that shout. I just want to play contrarian as I often do as part of this podcast. I think that it might be time to bin Diaby if it funds a move to Watkins as well as an Arsenal mid. Now, the reason I say that is relying on some data that at FPL Barrister, Jeremy sent into our group chat. And I thought this was excellent timing of the share and also very good context. Diaby right now is outside the top 30 midfielders in his advanced stats and based on his real production. So you're just getting much better numbers from guys like Anthony Gordon, from guys like Cole Palmer see a much more direct way to FPL points. And he's at a price point, which is kind of blocking other upgrades in your team. I mean, 6.7 million isn't premium by any means, but if you can free up one or 1.5 million to go from Alvarez to Watkins, I mean, I just think that's such an easy move and the points will come from Watkins. You don't have to worry about who's covering Diaby. So yeah, I think, we got into a situation where we were sticking too long on Manchester United assets because the fixtures were so juicy. And I think Diaby could be a similar trap for many FPL managers. Dan, like both of us, unfortunately. All right. Next up, let's talk about the Monday action. Tottenham to Fulham zero. The triple up on Spurs. The golden triple up would be Sun, Madison, and Poro. Unfortunately, Dan and I were both on Sun, Maddo, and Udagi, who gets subbed at the 55th minute mark. Oh, that one, it was a thorn in my side this game week. That was keeping me from hitting triple digits and a bit of a frustrating way to end the game week. But Sun, Maddo, this is a great partnership. I mean, the fact that they lost Harry Kane and they have a new number 10 in Madison, who is playing for a relegated side in Leicester, he's really stepping up to the plate. And I've been impressed with his leadership and just the cohesity he is bringing to the rest of the Spurs attack. So managers are going to be in an interesting pivot point here, whether they're going to move off of Sun and Maddo to uh, attacker from Arsenal. So boys, what are we thinking here moving forward? This was the first instance of a dream season for Spurs, where many managers in the FPL community were saying to Ange, the new coach, you doggy you, because that early hook was so out of the blue. I mean, 
he was playing well. I didn't think there was reason to sub him off after Madison's kind of second goal to double the lead. There was no concern that they were going to concede really, but I also don't think there was need to give him such an early hook. So that was really bizarre and really cruel for many FPL managers who were just already counting those six points in their team. I mean, Oh my goodness. Bucks. I can see your fucking ear to ear grin right here. He loves it. He loves it. He was, he was, I was, I was very concerned. I'm telling you both. And I, I was true to this. I was doing every single voodoo, every single prayer. I know from my, uh, my, grade school days, just hoping that Madison was not going to get a return because he's the player I most fear, honestly, not having. He's just, every time he's on the ball, I feel like he's going to make a dream pass for an assist, let alone to get the ball back for a goal. He's so informed. He's clearly the best transfer move of the summer window in the Premier League, and I don't even think it's close. He's just been rip-roaring for Spurs so far this season. I've been looking up um, Udogi, and apparently he has some muscle tightness, which I think is why he came off because they were they were leading comfortably at that point. You might as well take him off, especially with the Monday to Friday quick turnaround. But if Ange could just wait an extra three or four minutes, that would have been beautiful. It's just infuriating. He's an FPL manager. He's he's played the game, so he he fucking knew what he was doing. He's a Poro. <laughs> he's a Poro owner for sure. He owns Poro. <laughs> All right, Love I it. think that's a good recap there and uh we'll discuss what to do with madison and son coming up here in fpl community questions on the other side of the break we'll be right back and we're back let's dive into game week 10 preview but first we should give a public service announcement to our listeners and to engage managers in the hashtag fpl usa community and that is a reminder that there are european competition this game week so we will have champions league europa league and europa conference league happening on tuesday wednesday and thursday followed by friday fixture for the premier league so it's an early transfer deadline So that's just a way of saying that if at all possible, try your best to hold off on making early transfer moves. There is the odd possibility that players from Villa get injured on their travels abroad in Europa Champions League and yeah, Europa Conference League. So yeah, there are a lot of teams with top players like Arsenal, like Brighton, like Manchester City, who will all be competing midweek. So the more we know, the better you can plan your transfer moves. Now, taking a look at the Game Week 10 fixtures to target, there are a few big matches, especially for the home teams. Once again, let's start with Arsenal. This is a team that is going to have a big fixture swing. They are hosting Sheffield United. I'm expecting a lot of goals in this one, especially after coming off a draw. Arteta is going to want to put some past the Sheffield United defense. So what are we thinking here? Double up, triple up for those on wildcard, or would you just go with Saka and hope the rest of the team blanks? I would go with a double up for sure. If I was on a wildcard, I'm not on a wildcard and I'm crazy because I'm actually considering going with zero Arsenal assets, even though I know they're going to destroy Sheffield United. It really is a matter this week of you can't have everyone. There are so many good players with so many good fixtures. You cannot have everyone. Someone is going to have to make way. 
And for me, it might have to be Arsenal. And I might try and survive this game. Then they have Newcastle away. Then they have their really good run of fixtures. And I think I'll look to bring them in in game week 12 and just hide behind my sofa this weekend when they play Sheffield United. Because I, I do think they're going to destroy them. Yeah, I agree with you, Dan. I think at least a double up. You want to probably have Saka and Gabrielle, whose 4.7 million is very gettable. And the Sheffield United set piece defense is also very gettable. They are among the worst in the league in that department. So I love Arsenal here. I think probably clean sheet, probably three goals for them. Uh, that should be a cruise easy win uh, where they barely need to get out of second gear. Next up, another home team, Luton. Travel to Aston Villa, which is now Fortress Villa, because they are going for their 12th straight win. And holy shit, they're going to be wildly favored against the Lutonians. Oh, my God. If you don't have Ollie Watkins, you, you got to get him in. I you cannot go into this game week without having Watkins again. I, I tried it last game week. I tried it the game week before, and he's just killing me. And it's annoying because I had him in game week one. And I took him out in game week three for Nico Jackson. And I just wish I could reverse time and tell myself that was stupid. Stop doing that. Because he's great. And he really does scare me more than anyone else. Which is weird to say because it's Ollie fucking Watkins. But he really does scare me the most. I, I second that, Dan. Uh, Ollie junkyard dog fucking Watkins to you, bro. Come on. Next up. Fulham travel to the Amex to play Brighton. I probably see Fulham scoring in this match, but Brighton should definitely hang a few goals and they kind of need a result. But I'm curious to see what kind of lineup they put out, especially with European action in this one. So I'm going to go 2-1 to Brighton. Matoma, probably the best bet if you're looking for an attacker. But outside of that, everything else is a gamble. I know Welbeck picked up a bit of an injury, but Ferguson has got five straight games with one or two points. So he's not really providing a lot of appeal for FPL after his 17 point hat trick way back when. So I, I just don't know what to do. I think I'm going to completely swerve Brighton at the moment. It feels weird, but 6.5 for Matoma. And then I think everybody else is stay away. Agreed. Next is Forrest traveling to Anfield to play against Liverpool. Yum, yum. Another cushy Liverpool fixture in the truly delicious fixture swing that they're about to experience. I feel like we repeat this every single week, but I just wish we knew which Liverpool attacker is going to start these games. Because Possible. Having... It's worse than Pep Roulette. It really is, it, but it having really is. two of them for this game would be fantastic. If you know for a fact, it's Jota. If you know for a fact Jota is going to start this kind of game, you want him in your team, but you just never know. So It's not worth it. It's just like not worth the hassle. Even those who punted on Darwin, I know he got an assist off the bench, off the pine this past weekend, but there's just too many horses for courses at the Anfield team. And yeah, I think it's Salah and probably Mr. Simikas and that's it. I agree. I agree. True. All right. Let's touch on the best matches in real life. I think there's only really three of them. Uh, they do touch on both of our teams. We got a London Derby, Brentford at Chelsea. I think that could be a very cagey match. And maybe I'm being a little generous saying that's the best one of the best matches in real life. Maybe that's a little heart overhead there. And then Newcastle at Wolves. More muff cabbage for you, Dan. Eat up. I wouldn't call this a, a, a great game in real life. However, I'm calling a Wolves win. Then it is going to be a great game, man, because 
it's it's a battle of two midland teams that i think are i i think it's going to be wildly entertaining actually i'll give you i'll give you i'll give you three to one i'll give you three to one payout that uh newcastle do not lose to your wolves so we we can talk offline and how many beers that's going to equate to I do want to just say, first of all, books, you need to learn your English geography because Newcastle is way up north and not in the, the Midlands. Second of all, um, I do think Wolves are going to set <laughs> not up. Not in New York, so it's very far from the center of the universe, which is kind of all that matters. Good job. There you go. But in all seriousness, I think Wolves are going to play very, very defensively this game with five at the back. But it's Newcastle, the best attack out there. So who knows? Gordon is going to hold Neto to the ground and just slit him as he gets a double-digit haul in FPL, and I'm going to drink <laughs> drink it in. I'm going to be so happy about that. Lastly is the Manchester Derby. I mean, Manchester United are in horrible form, but they have this at home, and I fully expect they're going to do all the bells and whistles to honor the late Sir Bobby in that one. And after some lewd City fans were very dis graceful to the memory of such a legend of the sport. I think there might be a bone to pick here for the Reds in this one. I think it's going to be more cagey, but not enough for the Reds to beat Manchester City. I think it's going to be 3-1 to City. That's what I was going to say. 3-1 sounds about right. I mean, we've seen Manchester City destroy United in recent matchups, and I kind of expect that to happen as well. Even though they're missing a kanji, they have plenty of depth, stones back. I, I just don't see any way that they lose this match uh, versus their rival. All right. And we're going to now transition to start talking about Brian's wildcard draft. Let's but go. Before we do, before we do, sorry, Brian, we do want to give shout out to some excellent members of the FPL community, starting with at FPL Thorpe. He had an amazing tweet going over the major fixture swings that are happening in the Premier League. Specifically, this is something managers that have their wildcard need to be aware of as they build out their draft, pulling players from these teams that have the good fixtures coming. So the teams with good fixtures that are on about to be on a heater are Arsenal, Villa, Brighton, and West Ham specifically. And the kind of less good fixtures are coming for teams like Brentford, Chelsea, and Everton. Now, this is just really important because you want to be transitioning from the teams that had good fixtures like Chelsea to teams with the good fixtures in the future like Villa. So uh, this is just really important to know and should be kind of critical knowledge that any manager going into their wildcard has. So credit to you, Thorpe, for the great post and for the great content in the FPL community, which is wide and ranging there are a lot of smaller accounts that have excellent contributions so we want to be highlighting them here on the fpl usa press play podcast that's right fpl is all about the community and that transitions us to community questions and then we'll wrap up with my first wild card draft so let's start with fpl barrister friend of the pod he's asking is it worth up is it worth upgrading at goalkeeper if you have the Ternola combo of Matt Turner and Areola. So just thinking about West Ham, they've been a bit leaky, but through the first nine game weeks, they actually have had the hardest run in terms of defense. And they have kept a few clean sheets in there, but the next upcoming matches for them are prime. So 
putting 8.2, 8.3 million into your goalkeeper slots. I, I love that, you know, wherever you can save a few shekels here and there and spread that out across your other outfield players, I think is a good move. So I would just definitely hold those guys because the ceiling for goalkeepers is so low. So I, I think you just need to concentrate on the fixture swings that Bucks noted instead of making goalkeeper transfers. I agree completely with that. I think there's so many good assets outfield with such little funds to play with that going for just the cheapest goalkeeper combination is totally fine. And as you said, West Ham had really, really difficult fixtures. They're going to get a lot easier coming up. So I, I think it's the best combo in my opinion. The only reason I might disagree is if you are 0.1 or 0.2 million short of your ideal wildcard draft, I would actually consider just going without Turner altogether and going for the cheapest goalkeeper in the game, whoever the fuck that is, I don't know. But I think Ariola has been excellent as a shot stopper and he will rack up points from saves. And that's kind of all you can ask for. The odd clean sheet and the potential for Halls is what we're backing for our cheap goalkeepers. And Turniola is offering that, but I often find that when I start Turner, I have regrets that I didn't just start Ariola. So uh, I would go cheapest chips in goalkeeper if you're on wildcard 10. Yeah, they have the best fixture run over the next eight game weeks or so. You're just going to want to play Ariola every week. So stick with what you got, FPL Barrister. Next up, Kenan Lightbender on Twitter asks, is Holland without KDB? really worth the 14 million at the moment. He thinks he knows the answer, but would love to hear our thoughts. So I know we alluded to this a little bit earlier. Dan, would you go Nolland at this point if you were on wildcard or if you're looking to possibly fund some bigger moves in your team? I personally still would go with Haaland. I don't see myself ever taking him out, to be honest. However, I'm not as crazy about it as Bucks is. I do see the legitimacy of not going with Haaland. And I think it's a perfectly fine strategy, but it, it would worry me not having him a lot. So I would not go without him. It's really tough to watch Man City play and just knowing that that fixture looms, whoever they're playing. I mean, again, his pedigree is he could brace against anybody. So I, I think, again, on pens, it's a lot of money. But if he's in your side, I would keep. If you're on wild card, sure, then you could transition and maybe go uh, a different direction and i don't think his fixtures are as difficult as the fdr makes out man united agree yep sheffield united can score against man united therefore harland can bournemouth at home crazy fixture chelsea away they're good defensively fair enough liverpool at home easy fixture for a man city attack tottenham at home i don't think is a terrible fixture I know Romero and Van de Ven have been doing really well in that centre-back partnership lately. Yeah, Van de Ven. Van de Ven's been stepping his shit up. I've I've been impressed with with him, especially thinking about all those previous matchups where he had Dyer in the back. Yeah, Van de Ven is is looking pretty pretty good so far. But um, yeah, I think that addresses the Holland thing. We're we're pro Holland around here until further notice. Next up, at J Nicks twenty three asks the real question is why FPL. Must have had a really tough game week. So, Dan, why FPL? Because we love to, we love the pain, don't we? We love the ruining our weekends because we got such shitty scores. <laughs> That's why we play it. 
It's the triple digit moments of grandeur across the long 38 game week season, which has you coming back for more. It's just the, the belief that one game week gets out there for you to get that spiked massive hall green arrow of a game week. And that's, that's enough to carry over for four or five shitty game weeks that happen back to back. You to can, back. you can tell which manager of the two of us had a good game week and who had one that they're not quite <laughs> happy with, with those two answers. <laughs> Yeah, yeah and FPL, is, it's all about fun. I, I just think that FPL shouldn't be taken too seriously, but it should just be a way to deepen your enjoyment of the Premier League. Exactly. You want to back the players that are passing your eye test and then have the backed up stats as well. And so that kind of prediction-based scoring system, oh, I'm just obsessed with it. I can't get enough. So that's why we FPL here at the FPL USA Press Play podcast. Next Ryan, up. Ryan, don't lie to the listeners. You would play fantasy rock skipping if they had a gambling component to it. You're you're addicted to fantasy sports. I did have three NBA fantasy drafts this week, so that takes my total up to, I think, 13 or 14 fantasy teams across Jeez. FPL. Sick, sick, sick human being you are. UCL, eight NFL fantasy teams. So, yeah, I, I, I do... I'm just addicted to numbers, man. I, I love the the head-to-head competition or just uh, competing against the rest of these diehard sports fans. So, um, all right, next question. FPL Nando. Ooh, a cheeky Nando's. I, I do like a cheeky Nando's from time to time. So I like that uh, handle. They are asking, it seems like we're all trying to fit in Holland, Salah, Watkins, Sun, Trippier. Oh, but now we have budget issues. So what are our thoughts between these two combinations? Is Trippier or a combo of a Newcastle defender and Simikas or possibly somebody who's cheaper like Gabrielle? Is is it better to skip trips and go with somebody like Burn or Cher? So what are your thoughts there? Obviously can't cover, but you still get a piece of the Newcastle defense at a cut rate. So this is something I'm frankly facing on wildcard. So curious to hear what your two opinions are, especially since trips has gone on an absolute blinding tear and soared you guys up the rankings. I mean, I alluded to this earlier, and it really is an answer where I'm sitting on the fence. But you could go with any of these combinations, and I think they're all good options. I really think you have to just go with your gut here and go with the player who you like watching, who you feel like is going to get the most points. Because I don't think any of these options are bad right now. I actually love FPR this season just because of the amount of variance we have, the amount of different teams we have, the amount of squad differences that we have. So if you want to go Trippier, great. If you want to go without Trippier and go for someone like Sun or Saka instead, I also think that's totally fine. I know that's really sitting on the fence, but it's the the genuine answer. All right, I'll make a more direct <laughs> and honest assessment of this question. I think that in order, I think that Saka and then Sun are the two that are easiest to cover out of this sextuple. So I think every single FPL manager is racing to have Holland, Sala, Watkins, Sun, Saka, and Trippier. And I think that Martinelli and Odegaard offer better coverage of Saka than Byrne and Shar do of Trippier. And I also think that Madison offers better coverage of Sun than those defensive options that Newcastle do of Trippier. And the reason is, is because when Trippier, when Trippier gets an attacking return, even if they concede, even if he has a yellow card, the guy is a layup for bonus points. So I just think he has such an easy route to halls in that Newcastle team. And candidly, I think that Newcastle right now 
might be better than Arsenal from a both sides of the team perspective. Now, they're not showing that in the table as it stands, but I, that's just a vibe that I'm getting. Watching the games, I always feel like Newcastle are going to get a clean sheet and score a bunch of goals, and they've been true to that so far through nine game weeks. So that's just Bucks's wild take right there. Yeah, I think the difference is there's over $2 million right now between going for somebody like Burn versus somebody like Trips. Um, I disagree with you completely. I think Odegaard right now is not doing what he did last year in terms of those follow-up goals. Yeah, I really right mean now. Martinelli. I mean, okay. Martinelli. Yeah, there's, 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 point, there's point eight million when you're comparing Saka and Martinelli. But Martinelli, again, there's the threat of Trossard coming in. He's put in a few great goals this season already. So he's going to be consistently, you know, just in the wings, waiting and chomping at the bit. So I think Saka being on pens is pretty helpful to possibly go with. Um, and then, yeah, again, like Odegaard's got three goals and two assists and two of those are pens. So he's not really, um, you know, delivering those big performances thus far through the first nine game weeks. So uh, I think Saka is just such a better pick um, if you're going to go like for like at the same price point. Let's wrap it up with two more great questions. First is from our mini league mate Uzi. He's asking about Diaby replacements. Who is the best option sub 7 million? And beyond that, do we think it's time to take him out as part of a larger move? Or do we just hold and see about getting to the watch list players that are on our radar elsewhere? I think we answered this earlier. I think if you have DRB, it makes total sense to keep him for that looting game. It doesn't make sense to get rid of him unless you need to replace Diaby to get to Watkins. However, if you can get the double up of Watkins and um, Diaby, I think that's also a good route to points in this Aston Villa team right now. I think if you're on wildcard, you want to have Watkins, Diaby, and Cash, and then have a plan to get off Diaby in a couple of game weeks. Definitely want to have that upside for Luton. But I think if you have two free transfers like Dan and I do, I don't think it's as necessary to keep him. I think uh, there's a lot of reason to maybe swap to Watkins and a Brighton mid or Watkins and Martinelli if funds permit. And if Diaby needs to make way as part of a larger move for that, I totally rate that. I think a lot of managers are facing a decision with Diaby and somebody like Alvarez, where if you can downgrade Diaby to Gordon, that saves you maybe 1.1 million or somebody like Cole Palmer, et cetera. I think that's probably, you know, where you're going to get money to possibly fund Alvarez to Watkins. So that's going to be a common potential transfer dilemma this game weekend. Like we've said before, we are big fans of Watkins right now and his form. So um, I would still delay that though, if, and just roll with Diaby, if you can, if you already have Watkins for Luton and then assess from there. Next up, at Run CMC, aka Corey Cummings, one of our friends of the pod, he wants to know who are some of the best low budget midfielders for playing bench fodder. I just called out two. Um, you know, Gordon, I think, is good value. Cole Palmer. Who else do we want to shout out here? Neto, is he still one of the best options? I I, I don't think so if you're on a wild card. I think if you already have him, it makes sense to keep him. He rotates very well. He's got some great fixtures coming up. 
but I, I wouldn't pick him on a wild card. I think you've nailed the top options there. I think it's Gordon and it's um, Palmer. Yeah, the odd name I just want to throw in the mix is Suchek. We're seeing he's starting as an advanced midfield number 10 with James Ward-Prowse playing further back for West Ham. Now, again, there's such uncertainty with Antonio kind of clogging the artery down the middle of West Ham. So if we know Bowen plays through the middle and Suchek is right behind him, I think upside is there for the games to come. So I really like that as a differential. All right. Thank you, everyone, for sending in your community questions. We appreciate the engagement. We're going to take our last break and discuss my first wild card and then our transfer plans and captaincy shouts. We'll be right back. We're back. It's time for Mr. Brian Chin, or as we like to call him here, Chin Nation, to get his moment to shine. It's finally time for some good news and good vibes for our co-host, Brian, who's been kind of stuck in the mud so far this season. But it's time to get wild. It's time to be zany and for you to get some green arrows coming off this wildcard draft. So let's start as we always do with the goalkeeper spot and we'll move it forward. And Dan and I are going to give you some unfiltered feedback. Right, <laughs> I appreciate that. I'm just waiting for you guys to save me from the quicksand that I'm in, but coming off a 94 point game week, it does feel pretty positive to then go into wildcard 10. And I know a lot of other content creators across the community who did not wildcard in game week seven or eights are now popping the chip. So Really interested to see some of the new teams that are coming for this upcoming fixture swing. So right now I have 102.2 team value. So pretty solid. Uh, I have a few picks in my team that are going to stay and that will definitely help me moving forward and farming some of that value. So in the back, I have Ternola, pretty stock standard, 8.2 million combined. I think it's just, again, easy way to get the defenders that I want and the other outfield players. So I don't think there's anything to discuss there, but let's start with the five lads at the back. Right now I have Cash, Simikas, Burn, Lascelles, and Gabriel from Arsenal. So I actually started the season with Cash, so I got him at 4.5 million. He's going to probably be a season keeper for me until he gets injured, to be honest, because of his attacking nature. And now he's up to 5.1. And honestly, I could see him being 5.3 in the next couple of game weeks. He continues to rise, especially with other defenders picking up injuries. So what do you guys think right there? The big omission is obviously no trips, but I am covering the Newcastle defense with burn. So, you know, trips is going to get those games where he has 10 points. And I'm just hoping to get six from burn. I like the setup. I guess my one concern is that come game week 11, you're going to have Arsenal and Newcastle playing each other. And you have three defenders from those two teams with the Newcastle defensive double up, which candidly I love. I give you some respect on that for uh, backing a buck strategy right there, Brian. (laughs) And then to have them go up against Gabrielle, I don't think any of those teams are keeping a clean sheet in that match. So that is one reason why I think maybe Burn or Lascelles could make way for a different defender from a different side. But I, I don't think you could do better than Burn and Lascelles. Defensive double up while Botman's injured. You get the double and he's probably going to be back for that Arsenal game. So realistically, you're only going to have two guys. So I like it very cheap and a lot of upside in your defense. 
no defenders over 5 million at the moment for me. So it's very much putting all of the funds into the seven or eight attackers that I'm hoping to play every game week. Yeah, I, I like this a lot. My only concern, and I, I don't think it's a huge concern, is that in a few game weeks, potentially, you might have an issue with both Simakaz and Lesayas, which means you've only got three playing defenders there. So any injury or any drop to Cash, Gabriel, or Burn, and then you're kind of forced into a transfer. I don't think it's something you have to hugely worry about right now, but it is something to consider. Yeah, no, 100%. I think I'm going to actually keep a few shekels in the bank on this wild card as well, so I can get to a different 4.5 defender if somebody like Simikas falls out of favor or Rabo is ready to go. So I'm going to usually be playing a 3-5-2, but some game weeks I might play a 4-4-2 a as well. So uh, definitely noted. And Lascelles is just, again, he's bench fodder. I got him at 3.9. But I do think because Newcastle defense is so uh, you know tight at the back, if we ever see Botman get injured and this seems to be a nagging injury or Cher gets injured, LaSalle's just steps straight in and he was wearing the captain's armband. So there's nobody like, you know, Charlie Taylor. I mean, that guy gets one point every game week, if that. And so why would I go with somebody else when I could have a potential share of Newcastle defense? So small things, but just things I'm actively thinking about. So um, no trips is, is the big one, but that is because I'm going to fund a midfield five right now that goes pretty strong. Salah, Sun, Bowen, Saka, and Gordon are my starters at the moment. So what do you guys think right there? Obviously, I could go a different route and go double attack for Arsenal, but I just got to get Sonny Boy. He's one of my favorite players, and given that I'm having a tough season, I just want to enjoy FPL as much as possible. And we saw today he's capable of double digits in any game. We saw him score double digits against the likes of, I believe, Arsenal and Liverpool. So it's just a fun pick for me. And I got him at a relatively good price and he's already up to nine, five, nine, six. I think it's an, an amazing midfield, especially if you want to keep Sun because he's one of your favorite players and you want him in your squad. I think Salah, Gordon, Bowen and Saka, super strong four players to surround him. You could, of course, downgrade Sun to Madison and burn up to Trippier. I think you'd have the funds for that. Yeah, that's that's uh, exact money. So I am definitely thinking about that. But just the the player that Sun is, I just have a lot more fun when he's in my side. Exactly. And that's what it's all about. So I actually love this draft a lot. And then my next question is actually for Bucks. I'm right now going with Gordon as my kind of fifth attacker in the midfield as an enabler. But I could go Palmer. But my plan is actually to later make that move where I could um, downgrade Gordon to Palmer when the fixtures do turn better for Chelsea because right now the next six or seven game weeks are, are pretty poor. So I'm just betting on the attack for Newcastle to keep on humming versus the tough fixtures where Palmer has scored a couple goals, but they've both been pens. So what are your thoughts with that kind of mentality? It's a game state kind of move. And I think Gordon has more roots to points from open play. Whereas Palmer, you're really hoping for the penalty and yeah, I just, Right now, Chelsea's attack is not at a level where I think we're going to be able to predict his attacking returns. So I think you made the right choice here. However, I will say that we're going to talk about your forwards next, but if there was a way to stretch maybe your cheap budget forward to get a potential third playing guy at around $6 million, if the money is there and works out, I think that's something you need to consider. And maybe you swap Gordon to Palmer and you go, say, Archer to Ferguson. And I think that's a really bold 
pick. You're not having a great season. So some more upside plays, some more variance plays like Ferguson, who might have more minutes now that Welbeck is injured. I could see that with the fixtures that Brighton have being a way to spike some points. So that's the only commentary about that Gordon pick as a larger conversation. I was going to say something very similar. I, I don't think you should go down to Palmer with the current squad you have. However, if you did go Gordon to Palmer, I personally would put that cash into the defense to give yourself a really strong fourth playing defender that you could rotate with Palmer, someone like a, a Guayhi, for example. Then you can rotate Palmer and Guayhi for their really good fixtures coming up. Although if you're not planning on doing that, Gordon's the better choice. He's a a better player in a not maybe not a better player, but he plays for a better team. So yeah, I mean, Sun being yeah, so you expensive. watch your tongue there, Black Wolf. <laughs> Cole Palmer is is yeah. a young young star boy for Chelsea right now. So I almost uh, said that Gordon is better than Palmer, and I regret even trying to say that it's not. <laughs> I almost I almost booked my flight to uh, the San Francisco <laughs> Bay Area right away with uh, with a baseball bat in tow. Uh, if that wasn't caveated right away by my co-host that I love so much. Yeah. Again, Sun is a big crux in my draft. Like if I downgrade him to a Matoma that frees up a ton of money that I could have trips or Alvarez, but again, just want to have fun with it. And Sun's one of the best players and one of the best teams right now. I mean, we can't argue that Spurs are not putting up consistent points from their top two players. And we love that in FPL as well. So transitioning quickly to my forwards, I have Holland next to Ali Watkins. I'm excited to have him for Luton and these next couple of fixtures. And then Archer will probably be Mubama as my dead slot in the, in the 15th uh, slot in my team. So 3-5-2, 4-4-2 sometimes um, at play here. So that's, that's kind of what I'm thinking. Uh, again, I would love to have maybe Julian Alvarez, but a question for you guys is looking ahead to the blank game week that Manchester City have coming up, you know, it, is this maybe saving me a transfer down the line that I'll have to do a hokey cokey or, you know, how are you guys thinking about that far off blank? But, um, you know, eventually we're going to want three city guys for their double game week coming up later in the season. It's too far ahead for me to even worry about it on a wildcard 10 right now. I mean, you're, you're the one, you're the one who's like, I've planned my transfers until game week 38. So I just had to ask. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite that far. I, I think it's totally fine to go without Man City right now. Other than one asset, I think it's fine. I think it's it's overthinking it to already be looking at game week 18 and 19 when we're still in game week 10. Uh, you want to get the points today and you could plan a hit very easily to fit in a guy at Alvarez's price point. Let alone, you know, he might not be in vogue and in form by the time those fixtures come around. So I really like the Watkins pick i think a lot of your wild card draft picks itself when you've set up the formation that you want to fit in again i think it's really a number of 50 50 calls trippier or gordon cole or uh archer and when you figure that out it's gonna really pick itself because like we've discussed you want to have at least four or five of those kind of crucial six big hitters right now and right now you have five of the six and you're intentionally missing Trippier so that you can get your guy, Youngman Sung. And I think that's a very calculated gamble, and I I rate it. Sounds good. Yeah, definitely going to tinker the rest of the week, but excited to finally activate my wildcard chip. And, you know, just 
jumped one million plus spots and hopefully on wild card with all these home fixtures, I'll be able to capitalize on, um, you know, having the right guys in these great attacking fixtures. So that's me for the week. I will end and say, I will be captaining Sala this week at home versus NFO, but now let's transition back to you two. You both have two free transfers. Very well done. The the patience after wild carding. So now you guys are of two minds of who to bring in this week. So let's start with you, Dan. What are your plans for game week 10? I have like five, six, seven different plans. Uh, in my you, head. You, knew, you already knew the uh, the fence sitting was going to come from our lovely no. Brit. He's a guy never con- <laughs> confesses or confides in our listeners what his plans are. He's I will so, tell so you close that... to the vest. Come on, Dan. Hold on, hold on. Watkins is my priority. If I go into game week 10 without Watkins, I'll be massively shocked. Watkins is coming in. And he's probably coming in for Alvarez. So I just need to figure out how to fund that 1.1 million that I need. It's either going to be downgrading Sun, which I'm not happy with. But, you know, you have to play the fixtures. Or it's downgrading Trippier even. Or downgrading Madison. So I've, I've got lots of options to get those 1.1 million pounds back. And that I'm undecided on. So I'm half sitting on the fence for you books. Don't hurt your tush, my friend. Who's your captain? Most of it will be my captain this week. All right. So I'm going to clean sweep. I'll also be captaining Mo Salah. And I have two free transfers and 0.4 million in the bank. I also have a couple of points in hand over my two co-hosts. So I'm happily positioned where I am right now. And I think I can afford to potentially take a hit, but I'm not necessarily banking it already at this point in the game week. So the initial plan was Son and Alvarez to Watkins and Saka. I had exact funds going into game week nine for that. Unfortunately, some early price moves have ruined that initial plan. I'm now 0.1 million short, which sucks, but it is what it is. So I think coming into this episode, my plan was Watkins, Martinelli, and Palmer in for Archer, Son, and Diaby. I really like that because then I can keep Alvarez, Watkins, and Holland as a very elite forward trio. And it also gives me options to downgrade elsewhere further down the road. I can get off Trippier and fund a defensive move. So I really like that Martinelli gives me some Arsenal attacking coverage. Though, yeah, he's not Saka. I can't get all the way there. I have to just be okay with that. So right now, that's the plan. The plan is to go. Again, Archer, Son, and Diaby to Watkins, Martinelli, and Palmer, and I'll be captaining Mo Salah, and that will be my first minus four hit of the season. Everything you touch lately is turning to gold, so I'm not going to criticize any of your plans. I think this is a great one. There's no reason why Martinelli can't outscore um, Saka in a game like Sheffield United at home. I think it's risky considering his minutes, but... I can easily see him coming away with 12 points and Saka with two. And then you're just laughing <laughs> in my face. I just know it. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if Bucks loads up the app and it says minus two instead of minus four. That's how yeah, right. everything is turning up for the man this season. So um, those are good moves. And I can't believe we're in game week 10 and this is your first hit. This is so unlike you. Oh, I, I, I don't know who I'm looking at in this Zoom. I know it's, uh, it's weird times for me as well. But I think that's a podcast. Boys, this was an awesome episode. Again, we have two managers with two free transfers. We have one of our co-hosts finally hitting wild card as he gets his season on track. 
So this has been a great episode of the at FPL USA press play podcast for your hosts. I'm FPL USA bucks, Brian, tell the listeners where they can find you and Dan close us off with where they can find your beautiful British tush. Oh, that's his only fans, but I think you meant his uh, X account, but um, (laughs) in solidarity with bucks, I am at FPL USA, Brian, thanks for the follow there and Dan, get us out of here. I am the, the rebel of the podcast without FPL USA in my tag. I am at FPL underscore Blackwolf. You can find me on X and all the socials. And that wraps up the pod, guys. We'll see everyone next week for our Game Week 12 preview. Is it Game Week 12 preview? <laughs> it's, it's okay. Yeah, we'll be back next week <laughs> with our... God, the count. I First, that was the reading. Now it's the math. Uh, Britain is really letting us down. 11 comes after 10, Dan, just for a reference. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Have a lovely week of midweek football. Let's go! Let's go!